So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna just touch on uh, something. Like I said, this foot was on my heart. Uh, I was prepping for my Sunday morning message and some other things, and I thought, and this was actually just some stuff that I was working on. I thought, well, I'm gonna share this on Wednesday night after Easter or before Easter. Wednesday night before Easter, and that didn't work. So I'm going to do it the Wednesday night after Easter, which still is valid. The resurrection is valid every day. So if you have your Bibles, we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, <clears throat> and then we're going to be looking in verses 12 through 20. Before we do that, let me just tell you the purpose of our study tonight is to give a compelling and irrefutable evidence uh, from the Word of God, uh, history and logic, that the resurrection is not only plausible but certain and necessary for our salvation. And... Uh, it's really not hard to come up with because the Bible makes it so certain. And and so <clears throat> um, we had a good time last week, and we all celebrated the resurrection. Uh, before I jump into the resurrection, in, First Corinthians, in chapter 15, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, uh, what is the word used there in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 uh, for Easter? Does anybody know since it's Bible study night? Who said that? Oh, Kim, you're cheating. So that's right. So it's called Passover. Um, and uh, in uh, the, how many, let me ask you this. How many times is the word Easter found in your Bible? Once. Oh, good. You guys are good Bible students. All right. So, uh, and so the pagan uh, holiday of Easter or Ashtaroth is where it comes from or Ishtar uh, is found in just a couple references for you. I'm not going to look them up. You should look them up though. First Samuel 7, 3 through 4. I don't have these in my, on the screen yet. These are just by way of mention, but 1 Samuel 7, 3 through 4, 1 Samuel 12, uh, 10, and then the last one in 1 Samuel's, 1 Samuel 31, 10. And each of those are kind of educational <clears throat> if, you, if we want to take time and look at, at, at kind of the impact of, of worshiping the fertility goddess Ashtaroth. Um, in in uh, chapter 7 and chapter 12, it's very, it comes with the penalty from God against Israel. So he chastened them pretty severely for that. And then in chapter... Uh, 31, when Saul is killed uh, or kills himself, uh, the Philistines gloated and, and, and like nailed him to the wall in the temple of Ashtaroth. And then David's men went and re- retrieved his body. So Ashtaroth is a big deal in the pagan world. <clears throat> and uh, it's a feast uh, that Easter comes from a feast. Cel- the, ter- the term Easter comes from the feast celebrating the pagan fertility goddess and, of course, many people know that. I doubt that that's a surprise to anybody in here. Anybody just didn't know that tonight? Just curious. So everybody's kind of heard that. All right. And so I saw some sermons floating through the Internet, by, like from 1975, you know, these preachers talking about it. It's like, man, this is not new news. Most of us know this, especially in this church. Uh, but then you would say, well, well, then why do we celebrate Easter? Why do we use the name Easter? Uh, well, I'm going to tell you here in just a second, so hang on. So, um and so, uh, <clears throat> so the, for the past 2,000 years, uh, really Easter in the Western world at least has been focused on the resurrection because of Jesus Christ and the resurrection from the dead. Uh, sometimes people would think the word Easter would not or should not appear in our Bible. So that's a conundrum. So let's go ahead and turn over to, I told you to go to 1 Corinthians 15. Keep a bookmark there. I'm doing that. And then go over to Acts chapter, uh, chapter 12. And because that's the first time you see the word Easter, and the only time you're going to see the word Easter in your Bible, but it is in your Bible. And why is it there? Because it is from pagan origin. So there's all these big questions. Uh, and these big questions cause people, uh, especially critical text folks, to say, ah, we got you, King James folks. 
See, there is an error in your Bible. As a matter of fact, if you have a Bible, study Bible, uh, and there's a marginal note there, I would bet some would say that it would be wrong. I don't know if you got any of those study Bibles with notes in the margin, uh, but they will definitely probably tell, tell you it shouldn't be Easter, that it should be Passover. And there's a good reason for that, because uh, 27 other places in the New Testament, the word uh, that's translated uh, there in, in Acts 12, 4 as Easter is also is called Passover. So 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says Jesus is our Passover. He's our Passover lamb. We understand. We celebrate Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We celebrate the Passover. Uh, going back to Exodus 12, when that was instituted, Jesus Christ fulfilled that. He is our Passover lamb. So we, uh, we understand that, which is an incredible thing in, a, in and of itself. And so then, that even makes us a little bit more confused. So let's look at Acts chapter 12. We'll start in verse 1. It says, Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, uh, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And so that's important in parenthesis there in the third verse. And then it goes on to say, And when he had... Apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him uh, to four uh, quaternions of soldiers to keep him in uh, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And of course, we know that he got sprung by Jesus, okay, and, and uh, ends up knocking at the door, and you know the whole story. So the Feast of... Uh, so what's going on here? So you will have some say, this should not say Easter, it should say Passover. And so uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread starts with a, a day called Passover, right? So the first day of Passover, of course, is, the, is when the children of Israel passed over, or the death angel passed over the children of Israel before they exited, um, is Egypt, and <clears throat> they killed the, all the firstborn. I think uh, Pastor Mike Van Horn touched on that Sunday morning, talking about the Passover and the firstborn. Of the, the, the firstborn was dead. Even the older people that were firstborn were dead. He noted that. <clears throat> and so Exodus twelve thirteen commemorates that, the, the Passover, <clears throat> as, as the, uh, the angel killed the firstborn of the Egyptians. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread was seven days after that, starting on the day after Passover, until uh, the next Sabbath. Next, the next that Sabbath is also Saturday. Some people think call Sunday the Sabbath, but that's actually not accurate. Sunday is the first day of the week. Saturday is the seventh day of the week. It's the Sabbath, and so um, and so that's why we celebrate Jesus on the new day, the first day of the week. He rose again. We celebrate every Sunday on the first day of the week. We get a new beginning. So again, I think most of us know that. So in Leviticus uh, chapter 23 and verse 6 and Exodus 12, where you're dealing with the Passover, the, the, the unleavened bread is, uh, is there, and it, it tells you all about the Feast of Unleavened Bread and how it goes on for seven days. So the purpose was to commemorate the haste in which God called the children of Israel out of Egypt, right? Because they had to hurry up and get themselves prepared and get out of Dodge. And so they commemorated after the Passover with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and they were to take and make sure everything was, you know, there was no leaven, everything was clean, and all of that. So, so the King James gang was absolutely correct to use the word Easter here, because Passover had passed over, right? It had already come and gone. And how do we know that? Well, because the Bible says so. Then were the days of unleavened bread. So he took Peter, 
during the days of unleavened bread. So Passover's already gone. So he wouldn't be waiting on the Passover because it's the days of unleavened bread. Passover's come and gone. So what's he waiting on? That's what it says he's waiting on is Easter, right? That's why he was waiting on Easter because Easter was still being celebrated by the pagan Romans. And that's who Herod was, that's what he was choosing to wait on. Plus, it didn't really bother the Jews to kill people on Passover anyway because they'd already killed Jesus on Passover. So it wasn't like they, it was super sanctified in the eyes of Roman, uh, Roman or Herod, right, who had a trial and had no problem seeing a Jew, Jew get crucified on Passover uh, as the Passover uh, was approaching. So, um, so all of that is just kind of self-evident when we just look at the Bible in context. Um, he didn't have to wait on Passover because it had already occurred and the days of unleavened bread had commenced. So, does that make sense? So, Easter was already in motion because it's the old pagan uh, uh, female uh, goddess, Ashtaroth, that is being worshipped. And so, when the, the Romans, as well as the Greeks, had assimilated, as well as the Egyptians, they all had the same female deity. Um, that's what Herod was actually celebrating. He was choosing to celebrate Easter. He was waiting on Easter to pass, not Passover. They call it Pasha. And so that's also one of the, that's the Greek word, the Greeks word, the Greek word for it. I don't know what the Roman's word was, the Latin, but the Roman word, the Greek word was probably what was being used, which is the same one that's in the New Testament. And so it was common in, in uh, Europe to call, there was no distinction. This is a good question you're asking. So the question, well, you're, what was the question for? I, so what was the way, what were they waiting for? And she, right, she's saying they didn't call it Easter. Actually, they, they did. It, Easter was what they were, is, that's why the King James gang is right in the way they translated it. They, because they, you are right. The, the word, the Greek word, uh, I think it's like Pascha. I didn't write it down here, but you can look it up. If you look at Easter or Passover in your New Testament, in those 28 mentions, 28 places, you'll find it in Greek. It's like P-A-S-C-A or something like that. It's Pascha, Pascha, something like that. Anyway, that word is synonymous with Easter or Passover. 27 times it's translated Passover. Only here's at Easter in, in Acts 12. Why is that? Well, because in the, in, the, in so like when uh, when. Uh, Who's that fella in Germany? Uh, Martin Luther, you know, the reformer. When he translated his first German Bible, he didn't, just, he didn't call the Passover Passover in those 27 places. He called it Easter. And the same thing with Tyndale in his first English Bible. He called everything Easter, or a lot of things Easter. I don't know exactly. Maybe not all of them, but definitely most of them Easter. And so why did they do that? Because at that time, number one, just before everybody has a cow, understand that that the English language was developing from the Saxon language anyway. It wasn't where it is today or where it was, of course, at its apex. And so, and so, the, the, uh, so that was happening. And so to them, the word Easter or whatever, you know, in German, they, however they said it, uh, which does find its origins with Asteroth, Asteroth, is equal to Passover. Does that make sense? Because it's celebrated around the same time, so Christians, Christians just took on when that that word as as Easter was Passover, and Passover was Easter. There was in their mind there was no distinctions. It's sort of like we say Christmas is the birth of Christ, although it's Christmas, right? Does that make sense? Uh, that word's not in the Bible, though. Christmas isn't in our Bible, but uh, but the the Greek word, uh, if they would say translate 
Passover into um, Saxon. They would say, oh, Easter. You see what I'm saying? So that word was common in common vernacular. Uh, or translate that word Passover into from Hebrew. Let's pa- translate it into the to uh, some Latin. Oh, it's Easter. You see, you know, because there wasn't necessarily a, a word for it. So you have to use the word that you have available. We do that all the time. But this is a case where the the correct literal translation would be Passover, because everywhere else it, that's what it, that's where it comes from. So the, it's it's one case of what what you call dynamic equivalence that you can find in your King James Bible where the translator said, well, we know that it's the word there in Greek is Passover, it's Pascha or whatever the word is, but we're going to call it Easter here because that's the same word they use for Easter in Europe. And so we're going to go ahead and use Easter because that's what we know from the context, first principles of Bible study. He's not talking about Passover because Passover is past and it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So Herod is obviously waiting on the pagan feast of Easter, which makes complete sense because pagan was Herod was pagan uh, way more than he was Jew and certainly not a Christian. And so, uh, so that uh, I hope that's making I hope I'm not confusing the matter to you. But it's interesting because the one dynamic equivalence is used all the time by contemporary uh, Bible scholars. Quote quote. To change the Bible into what they want it to say, usually in a works-based fashion, or to take out something from the Bible that they don't want it to be there, like in Acts chapter 8 or what have you. Uh, and then when the one time when the King James gang does it, uh, they're, they're going to say, see there, and it should be Passover. But I would actually disagree with them so, uh, because, because of what the text actually says. So it makes complete logical sense. It's logical, in the, and it makes complete sense. So, um, And by the way, and that is what... When they say older documents, that's actually what, that is like what Martin Luther translated as anyway. But he would have done that anywhere because to him, he just hadn't thought it all through. He was trying to get it into the vernacular. So in Europe in those days, the word Passover wasn't as popular as Easter. So they, they didn't have a distinction in their head. It's our Bible that gives us the distinction tying it to the Old Testament in 27 locations. So we know that what we're talking about here is Passover. Jesus fulfilled the Passover, not the feast of Ashtaroth, the pagan, the pagan fertility goddess. So, of course, in Latin, they still celebrate the pagan fertility goddess quite rapidly, quite, uh, not rapidly, but quite, uh, I mean, it's still the thing. You know, Mother Mary of God is the same female deity, just with a different name. And so they just change all the names and assimilate, just like the Greeks did, just like the Romans did, just like the Egyptians did. So that's why the Mary that's represented in Rome is not really the Mary that had Jesus. It's another Mary. It's a Mary that is associated with Astaroth, fertility goddess. That's why they worship her. Yes, Kim. They, yeah, they occur. The the yes, good question. So they do they occur? At the, yeah, they always occur in the spring, similar time. I heard a Baptist just recently too. So be careful what you listen to. Uh, on the internet. So I had this Baptist was really preaching hard on this subject that because Jesus was on Solomon's porch in winter, that the past, that that he, Jesus didn't really die, you know, in the spring, which I'm like, really? Are you crazy? The month, he died on the 14th day of Abib because that's when they celebrate the Passover. So of course, yeah, it's just like with here, the timing is close <clears throat> because when the season changes from winter to, to, to spring, it's right around this time. And so, um, the you know, it was 
he can be on the Solomon's porch, and it can be winter, and then a few days later it can be spring. So that is just a silly, silly thing for that guy to bring up because it's very clear that Jesus is our Passover. He died during Passover. I mean, you can't miss it. And so it's kind of crazy. But yeah, so to answer your question, yeah. So uh, so the Jews operate off of a lunar calendar, uh, and, the, and the pagans operate off of a um, solar calendar. So, um, But they all occur at the same time. Passover and the worshiping of Astroth occur at the same time, or around the same time. You know, they're close. In the case of the, the year that Jesus was crucified, the Passover occurred, obviously, uh, well, that was actually after. So in Acts chapter 12, that's after Jesus died. But that year in which we're talking in Acts chapter 12, um, and I don't have the exact year, obviously it, Passover was passed, Feast of Unleavened Bread was still going on, but Easter, the, the, actual, uh, the actual day to worship the fertility goddess had not yet occurred. And that's what, the, that's what Herod was actually waiting on was Easter because he didn't want to kill anybody on that day. You know, we don't care about Passover, but we definitely want, we got, we're going to wait for Easter to get over, and then we'll kill Peter. Of course, God had different plans, and he got he got sprung from jail. So, does that make sense? Okay, yeah. So, so the worshiping of Ashtaroth or Ishtar uh, or whatever you want to do is going to be tied. Um, so, to be very technical, right? So, we should be we should be looking at the Hebrew calendar and worship and or and you know following the Passover and not following. Uh, the Easter holiday, which is certainly tied to that old pagan stuff. But we don't really care because we celebrate the resurrection every day. So that's a, also a good point to bring up. We're not tied to the Old Testament or, the, or to the pagan stuff. We just use it as an opportunity to preach the resurrection to a pagan culture because every Sunday at HBF we're celebrating the resurrection. Every day we're celebrating, forget Sundays, we're celebrating the resurrection every day. So for us the resurrection is something every day. But we meet on the first day of the week because that's when Jesus rose again. And that's been the that's been the custom ever since, um, and not all traditions are bad because there are some things like that that Jesus established himself by meeting with the disciples in the upper room the very day he rose again. That was the first church meeting that Sunday night service, and uh, it was just a little bigger than ours. And then uh, and then uh, he uh, <laughs> and then he uh, established that, and then um, of course from there on out they met. And it's very clear in the New Testament. And then we see Paul confirming that many years later, talking about meeting, assembling on the first day of the week. And then in Hebrews, they changed from the Sabbath to meeting on the first day of the week, which is why it's a big thing to point out in Hebrews. Now, there's nothing wrong with you know midweek services or Sunday evening, or, or I mean a Saturday afternoon or evening service. Some churches do Saturday night, Sunday morning. There's nothing wrong with those things. But uh, I would definitely would not forsake, I personally would never forsake Sunday assembling because it actually is established by Jesus. He established his church. We're going to hold fast to that until Jesus returns. We want to be doing at the in the last century what Jesus established in the first century, including the ordinances. And so and meeting on the first day of the week. That's why the COVID thing was a big deal for me personally. I mean just to say, oh, just don't worry about it. I'm like, whoa, now we're crossing the line here. Uh, so we gotta we gotta meet somehow. All right. So Oh, that's good stuff. That was not what the study's about, but let's keep going. But uh, that was just kind of a, this was like, this is like calisthenics. Before you work out, right, you always got to do a little warm-up. So this is the warm-up before we really get to the workout. So this is good. So um, 
Let me skip ahead here. So Hebrews 11:6 says, But without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and a rewarder of him that diligently seek him. So faith in God's words is the most important thing to believe in the power of the resurrection. We're going to talk about the resurrection, and the reality is if you really want evidence of the resurrection, just read the Bible. The Bible will just absolutely slay it, kill it, resurrect it, whatever you want to use, whatever you know synonym, adjective you want to use. It's going to happen in the Bible. The Bible is all the evidence you need. If someone says, well, I don't believe the Bible, well, they're not going to believe the resurrection either, right? You can't have both. You're either going to believe the Bible and therefore believe in the resurrection, or you're not going to believe the Bible, and then there's no sense in arguing about it at that point because you denied uh, the evidence that God's given you. But faith in God's Word is the most important thing to believe in as far as the power of the resurrection. But let's look at, and I told you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, familiar passage, resurrection chapter. Uh, to many. Uh, And we're going to just look at this and uh, look at verses uh, 12 through 20. And this is where I'm going to jump off uh, for the rest of the night as we get into our our real workout. 1 Corinthians 15, 12, the Bible says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? Okay, so pretty straight up. He's either alive or he's not. And verse fourteen: If Christ be not risen, then our preaching is then our preaching then is I'm sorry our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. So what we say is empty, and what uh, we believe uh, in Jesus is empty. Verse fifteen: Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then it, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And if, and if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. Uh, for since, man, since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. All right, so Paul was not you know, hedging his bets when it came to the resurrection of Jesus. He is either alive from the dead, as the Scripture teaches, or we are all men, of all men, most miserable. There's no hope, and uh, we are in big, big trouble. So tonight I want to take some time and look at several aspects of the resurrection and bring uh, the reality of the resurrection to light. So on, the, on our notes here, I put uh, Isaiah 1.8. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, and though, our, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You know, the importance of the resurrection is, is so that people actually get their sin dealt with, right? I mean, it's, it, you can't believe. For me, I was lost for so many years. Not really, you know, I was stuck on the resurrection, right? The historical Jesus, I kind of believed in historical Jesus, uh, you know, the one that Andy Stanley preaches. But the one that resurrected was the one I was having trouble with. Um, and, uh, and, and that's the one that got out of the grave on the third day. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I was like, I don't know about that. Now, where in the world would I get the idea that that is not real? Well, first of all, I got it from my own I- ignorance. And second of all, it, from everything in the world, it kind of tells you that, kind of leads you that way. If you're not really plugged into the Bible in a local New Testament church that believes and teaches the Bible, if you're not actually, like, experiencing the power of God on a regular basis, um, it's easy to kind of wander off and go, well, yeah, yeah, historical Jesus. I believe in George Washington. I believe, and there's a lot of people, like even maybe listening right now out in the atmosphere here, 
that a lot of people say they're Christians because they believe in Jesus. And what they really mean is, I believe there was a guy named Jesus. But they've never really processed out what who Jesus really is. Jesus was God. He came to this earth. He died on the cross for your sins personally. And he's calling on us to be reasonable about this and understand that he is the sacrifice for sin, not a sacrifice for sin. And he died on the cross for our sins individually. We've got to reckon with that. He then is he not only died, but he's alive. And then if he's alive, oh, he's alive right now. He's not like he wasn't like he was resurrected. He is resurrected. He is the resurrection. He is the life. And that's when I got saved. That's actually when I got I can actually remember like ding. Light bulb. And it took, for me, <clears throat> seeing the wrath of God, which was included in Acts 17 when Paul's preaching up there on Mars Hill. He says, oh yeah, he's coming back in his wrath. If you don't believe in the resurrection, someday you will. Because he's coming. And when he comes the next time, it isn't going to be a little baby lamb. You know, he's going to be the lion of the tribe of Judah. So, you know, buckle your seatbelt, pal. You know, that's basically what the Holy Ghost was telling me. Like, hey, there's a reason... You're breathing still, and I haven't come yet because I'm giving you a chance here to get this thing right. I'm like, oh, now I believe in the resurrection. That is reasonable, right? Oh, yeah, Jesus died on the cross. Why? Why did he die on the cross? Because he wants us to avoid his just wrath, right? That cup of God's wrath was poured out on him on the cross, and then you get to Revelation 19, and guess what? He's treading on the fiercest in the wine press right, of the wrath of Almighty God. There's another cup of wrath coming. Revelation chapter 19. So I think you guys are you guys probably get that here in the building, but if you're listening online, that's important. That's really important. Uh, because if Jesus isn't risen from the dead, nobody else is either. Um, and so Paul wasn't hedging his bet. God is reasonable, and he wants us to reason from the Scripture tonight, so let's do that. Uh, he also wants us to have a reason of the hope that lies within us. First Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer. To every man that asketh you of a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, right? So it's not with pride and uh, insecurity. It's meekness, which isn't weakness. It's, it's having some power under control and having fear of God, not men, right? So we should, uh, I like what, I love what uh, Mike Van Horn said Sunday about going out and, I don't know if he was saying that from the pulpit in a private conversation, but uh, just how, uh, uh, he was. He, what was he talking about? I shouldn't process this out loud like this. But anyway, he was talking about somebody uh, being trained uh, not only to uh, do what's right, but to confess what's right uh, as part of their training. I think we were in the foyer talking about this process, three-step process. Acknowledge what's wrong, confess what's wrong, and then tell others what's wrong. You know, And uh, it was in some sort of military training or something that we were talking about, but uh, it was the fact that it's one thing just to know what's right. It's another thing to tell everybody else what's right and actually proclaim the truth, right? Not just know the truth, not just to correct your own behavior, but to go out and tell others also. And uh, this was some secular, like, military-style training we were talking about. But at any rate, the resurrection is personal for all of us who were saved. If you're saved here, you already know about the resurrection, and you believe it by faith. The Holy Ghost has taught you that. Uh, some of us came to it easy. And uh, some of us may have struggled with the concept that Jesus rose from the dead. Um, and, you know, either way, at the end of the day, if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then you are not going to spend eternity in heaven. It's just not going to happen. Um, and that is the truth. And I say that because it is true, and I care enough to tell the truth, because there's people that think, well, if I'm just a good person, I'll go to heaven. Or if, if, um, 
I'm religious, you know, or, I, you know, I really had a good heart. Well, that's pretty subjective. The Bible tells us that, you know, our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can know them? God knows our hearts. And so he loved, he's so concerned about our heart that God loved the world and gave his son. So because we know up front that uh, we don't have time to cover everything, I've, I've put some stuff out here uh, so that we can process through this somewhat quickly, hopefully. So I'm giving you the A-list, and uh, I don't have a handout in front of you, but let's start with an overview of some references that we can look at tonight. And by the way, if you're joining us live online, you can go to uh, our website under the Listen page, and there's already up there right now tonight this outline, so you can print it off or open it up on your computer, start working on it or whatever you're going to do. If you need that, it's already there. So I, I was ready. It's like predestined before the foundation. No, before the sermon was preached. I got, I got it up there a couple weeks ago. Um, so the A-list, location. Um, uh, now this is, oh, I got to tell you, the, the A-list here is, is a modified version. And I think I put that in the footnotes of, the, uh, of, of a list similar to this that you can find on probe.org. Probe.org. So uh, if you're looking for this, I want to just be transparent. I didn't create the A list here, but I, and I actually have modified it slightly, so you can find one very similar on probe.org. But I liked it because it's a framework to get around. What I did give you and what I will give you is a bunch of other research I put together, which is voluminous, and um, the A list kind of is good to wrap around that, make it easy. So let's talk about the A list. First is accurate prophecy. One of the these are the things that really help us, you know, get our head around the resurrection. Both the Old and New Testaments contain prophecies of Jesus' death. And resurrection, numerous times in the Gospels, Jesus told his disciples uh, and the Jewish authorities that he would raise to life after three days in the earth. And that John 2, at the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus told uh, this to the Jewish leaders and it made such an impression on the disciples that in verse 22, it tells us, when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had said, John 2, 22. So accurate prophecy, even the apostles were like, oh yeah, Jesus said that, right? And when Jesus said it, it happened. Also attesting miracles, Jesus' resurrection was not a sudden miraculous cap to an otherwise unremarkable life. It wasn't like it just snuck up on everybody. Um, Jesus had consistently demonstrated his authority over the material universe from turning water into wine to walking on water, healing the sick, raising Lazarus from the dead, right? Blind people got their sight. I mean, he had miracle. Everybody knew in Judea and Samaria, right? There's this guy named Jesus and he's running around here healing people. I mean, everybody knew about it. So there was a testing miracles uh, that he demonstrated during his earthly ministry. There's also uh, an agonizing death, which again is, is very well documented. He had numerous opportunities to avoid a fatal confrontation with the Jewish leaders and Roman authorities. And no one's going to go through a Roman scourging of crucifixion as a hoax. Like he didn't just endure that so he could say, hey, I'm credible, right? Uh, that didn't happen. Jesus submitted to the cross because it was necessary to pay for our sins, and he knew that he had authority to conquer death. He already knew that. Uh, and so agonizing death. He also had uh, antagonistic authorities. You know, after, after the words of Jesus' resurrection began to spread, the Jewish authorities wanted to put a stop to people believing in him. We talked about that Sunday morning at the 630 service, producing the body of Jesus would have been the best way to do that. Even with support from the Roman authorities, they were never able to produce a body, right? Nobody could produce his body because it was nowhere to be found. Uh, but the authorities were antagonistic toward him. 
Uh, and of course, the last thing I already said is there was an absent body. So uh, remember those guards, they, they regained their consciousness. And the chief, well, you know, Jesus is manifesting himself to Mary and the disciples. The chief priests uh, believe what's happened. I think Mike, Mike made that point. Who did believe in the resurrection? Uh, the chief, the, the Pharisees. You need a handout? Where are the handouts? Oh, my goodness. Did I not print enough? Yeah, why don't we keep some in the back? Rex, can you steward those? Sorry, I'm going to fire you, uh, JB, and you're going to have Rex steward those since he can kind of see who's who's coming in. So, Sorry, guys, I, I didn't even think to ask if anyone else needed a handout. So, uh, so, uh, so they, these guys. So the uh, the the body was absent, and uh, of course the the uh, chief priests believed Jesus rose again, and they're like, "Hey, they're paying people off, and don't don't tell anybody." Uh, there was no body to recover. They knew that, and so they had to lie about it. And of course, again, that goes with the fir- the other point with the antagonism. Um, and then there was the amazed disciples. Right after Jesus Jesus's arrest, most of his disciples fled. And it's clear from their reaction that they despised the cross, right? And there wasn't one of them that were just thinking, oh, he's going to get through this. They were, even John, right? He ran without his clothes. He ran away naked. So, um, And so um, it's clear from their, their reaction that they despised the cross and were not anticipating that. So two of the, his disciples didn't recognize the risen Jesus as he was teaching them. And the scriptures related to himself. He was teaching them about himself from the scripture. And they didn't know who he was until he kind of just disappeared in front of them. Their skepticism and shock showed that they clearly were not part of some sort of pre-planned hoax. And what's cool about the Bible is it puts all like the just the it just tells about everybody's unbelief. It just there's no it's the unvarnished truth. When you put it together, it's like oh yeah. I mean it wasn't it wasn't sexy. It wasn't polished. People were like you know even after he rose again, people were struggling with it like Thomas. Uh, they're agreeing eyewitnesses. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared to, to over 500 people. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that. And they testified to his resurrection. So uh, we do not have a record of anyone disputing their testimony. I mean, Paul was very confident in 1 Corinthians 15. You know, uh, nobody said, oh, I was, I was included in the hoax. I mean, this was such a widely known thing. I'll get to that later uh, when we get a little deeper into these verses. But... Uh, and I want to just give you all this kind of some framework, and, and we'll get into some details as we go. There's also the apostolic martyrs. So the disciples become apostles, the apostles become martyrs, and uh, people who die for their faith aren't doing it for a hoax. Yes, ma'am. Uh, number five was the uh, absent body. Absent body. Number nine is the antagonistic historians. So we got, uh, you know, or I'm sorry, the agnostic historians. Contemporary non-Christian historians reported that Jesus was reputed to have risen from the dead and that his followers were willing to die rather than recant their belief in Jesus. So, you know, just watch the History Channel or whatever and, you know, you'll get all of that kind of baloney that you want to see about Jesus and the resurrection. All the scholars, they always get the scholar from Cambridge and the scholar from somewhere, Harvard or whatever, Princeton, and they're going to get on there, Bible scholar, and, and then they're going to just deny everything the Bible says and try to explain it away. And you just scratch your head going, what? That's not what the Bible says. That's because they're antagonistic. or I'm sorry, they're agnostic. They are antagonistic too, but they're agnostic. 
Sorry, I'm getting my A's confused. And then there's a, a testing spirit. And for us, this is really all we have. We got the Word of God and the Spirit of God. We don't really need anything else. I know for me, I didn't need any other testing miracles. I had the Spirit of God. So, But over the centuries, the Holy Spirit continues to convict unbelievers and assure believers uh, that Jesus is the risen Son of God. I mean, literally, the Holy Ghost in my life, I mean, you get under some good preaching or good reading of the Word of God, and the Spirit of God will let you know. He'll tell you, hey, you're either convicted or comforted when it comes to this subject. You're either saved or you're lost. I mean, you better you better believe, or or you're going to believe later when it you know either way it's real, and the spirit of God will just impress that upon you, not to try to manipulate people or put them in fear. I mean, it's not the preacher, it's not the the. I mean, the spirit of God will do the convincing. Amen. I love it. Don't you love it when you know the spirit of God's working? I was just I went to a pastor's luncheon yesterday, and uh, Bobby Bonner spoke, and uh, man, it was a good little message he gave to the pastors. Spirit of God was working, man. I'm like, I, I needed this. I was getting beat up, punched in the face spiritually. No, not really. Spanked on the bottom, maybe, whatever. But it was just a good, solid Bible message, and it was the Spirit of God at work, and I love that. That's so good when the Spirit of God's working. And we don't get charismatic and everything, but there is something this intangible about the Spirit of God's power from the Word of God working in our hearts. It's amazing. All right, so let's talk about these accurate prophecies. So in case you missed it, we're going to come back around. Um, so Jesus' testimony is the spirit of prophecy, Revelation 19, or yeah, 1910. Um, so I didn't, I guess I didn't, I thought I put the references up there, so I didn't. So turn to Revelation 1910. Um, well, let's just go to Revelation 1-2. And you got, some of you know this from our time in Revelation, but I'm just going to touch on it once real quickly and keep moving for time's sake. But in Revelation 1-2 says, Who bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus and of all things that he saw. So John is bearing a witness of the testimony of Jesus. What is that? I'm glad you asked. Because Revelation 19.10 tells us, And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am the fellow servant, I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren, that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So what does that mean? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Yeah, so you would say he fulfills what he says. All right, so the spirit so Jesus doesn't say anything. Uh, that he isn't going to fulfill. And of course, you know, you got the songs with the, the words in red. Okay, that's right. Jesus had the words in red. But the whole word is his. So even in the Old Testament, <laughs> the words in black, right? All of it is Jesus' words because Jesus is God. And he will fulfill the word of God as he said. So that's the spirit of prophecy. So his prophecies are never wrong. He's not a false prophet. He's not going to miss a beat. And even when he changes his plan, and he does, he is a, has an ability to work out time and space, and his prophecies still stay right on time. It is amazing how he does that. Yeah, Ron? Yeah, amen. Yeah. A lot of, yeah, most of what he said is out of the Old Testament. And then when there's a verse like in the New Testament that says, Jesus said, uh, it's better, more blessed to give than receive, don't, don't doubt it. What the Holy Spirit of God preserved, just because you didn't have it in the red letters doesn't mean Jesus didn't say it. 
you know, or that he didn't say it to Paul personally, who had revelations that others hadn't. Point being, amen, Ron. And the Word of God is being fulfilled. Jesus is the Word of God. You guys get it. You're the home crowd. But So this is important, though, because the prophecies are really where it's at, especially when it comes to the resurrection. He fulfilled every one of them. We can't divorce God from His Word. And since God says His testimony is good, we'll start here with some prophecies that were fulfilled at His coming. Um, and so let's look at some sampling uh, prophecies. And this there's a lot of them. All right, so I did put these on the board. This is what I was thinking of. All right, so, and I'm going to go pretty quick, obviously, because it's voluminous, but I gave you this document for your records. This is one of those studies that you go home and you file it away somewhere, and when you need it, you know, some Jehovah Witness comes knocking or whatever, you can you can pull it out and go back over it. So uh, the very important prophecy, of course, we celebrate this, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between thy, uh, thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Of course, the subject there is the seed of the woman, but in Galatians 4.4 4, it says, but the, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, Right? And so uh, he had her come forth from a woman. Now we celebrate all that at, at Christmas, right? And that's incredible. Uh, and as, as we continue to go and look at the prophecies of Christ, Isaiah 9, 7, uh, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne. Now this is a pregnant prophecy, talking about birth. Uh, I do not have time. We could spend weeks just working on Isaiah 9, 7 here, but I won't. But the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I mean, you have every dispensation and eternity future in here. I mean, it's amazing. Okay, Luke, so he's heir to the throne of David. The key, though, is the throne of David. Uh, Luke uh, 1, 32, familiar passage, says, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Well, wait a minute. I thought God was his father. How can he have the throne of his father David? Huh? Jesus is God. He, right, he is the fulfillment of Isaiah 9-7. And David understood that his throne would go on forever. It will go on forever through Jesus Christ. Right. So that prophecy is fulfilled. He is the heir to the throne of David. And of course, he was of the seed of David. Also, biologically, was of the seed of David. So biologically, his father was David, uh, but also spiritually, his father was God. And so uh, now we're just getting enough DNA technology and understanding enough about XY chromosomes and XXXY. What are the chromosomes? I should know that. I mean to do that right now of all times. So what is a guy? XY? Does anyone know? Oh, you say it's YY? And what, okay, somebody's, okay, Ray, what do you say? I think we don't know. So somebody look that up and let me know. And uh, are you looking that up? Yeah, it's probably gone. <laughs> but you can find that third one, which doesn't exist. So anyway, uh, we're getting off track here. But all this is important because Jesus is heir to the throne of David. So he's, he takes it from the seat of a woman also, though, to David, who's the king of the, of the nation of Israel. So we're kind of really jumping through a lot of history. A lot of prophecies in between that, but those are a couple big ones. And I'm not doing every prophecy because I would have a longer list than you already have. Micah 5.2, But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet 
Out of thee shall come forth unto me uh, that is to be ruler of Israel. So now we're calling out Bethlehem, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. And of course, you guys are familiar with that also from Christmas season. He's born in Bethlehem. Luke 2 tells us the same thing. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Uh, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there's no room for them in the inn. I just saw a quote by uh, Andy Stanley that says that they concocted basically the story of the virgin birth after the fact. And uh, uh, yeah, oh yeah. And so I was like, that is such silliness and heresy, by the way. So yeah, likely did that, you know, whatever. Whether he believes that or not, I don't know. But to even say that out loud is, is absurd. All right, Daniel 9.25, we're going to talk about the time of his birth. Uh, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to resolve and build, or to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, and the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And it goes on to say, you can look at that going all the way down to Daniel 9.27. Actually, I didn't give you enough verses there now that I'm looking at that. We need to put 26 and 27 in there, but... In Luke 2, it says, And it came to pass in those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenus was governor of Syria. But Daniel 9 tells us up to the literally his triumphal entry uh, and when he's cut off. And I mean, the timeline is precise. All that prophecy, most of it, not all of it, but most of it's been fulfilled except for Daniel's 70th week Daniel down in Daniel 9.27. All right, so time of his birth is, is prophesied. Isaiah 7, 14, many of you have heard this before. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And of course, Luke 1, 26 says, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel sent for, was sent from God into the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth the Son, and shall call his name Jesus, uh, which is Yeshua, Joshua. But the point is, is that um, he is God with us, and uh, Jesus fulfilled the prophecies. So we're just not dealing with the resurrection yet. We're just kind of walking through some big prophecy steps. Then you get to Isaiah 9. Nevertheless, the, the dimness shall not be such as, was a, uh, was it, as it was in her vexa- vexation, when at first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people walked in darkness and have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shined. So he's that's a kind of more obscure um, prophecy. It's not one that you hear a lot, but it's, it's actually a prophecy of Jesus' Galilean ministry. When he walked in Galilee, and of course we know in Matthew 4.13 that he walked uh, through uh, Nazareth, he came and dwelled in Capernaum, and of course he spent a lot of time up in Galilee, you don't have to just use Matthew 4.13-17, through 17. but uh, it says in verse 16 of Matthew 4, the people which sat in darkness saw a great light, and to them which sat in the region in the shadow of death, light sprung up, and so it's uh, referencing back to Isaiah 9, he's fulfilling that prophecy. As Ron was pointing out, a lot of what's in the New Testament comes from the Old Testament. What Jesus said comes from the Old Testament. Now, here's a, 
several references I strung together, and we could go on. There's more than this, but uh, we're making our way through this pretty quick, which is what I got to do. But Isaiah 53, 1 says, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Right? Well, he came to Israel, right? He came to his own, and his own received him not. Isaiah eight fourteen. Right, And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling, and for a rock of offense to both the house of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Right, So um, that's exactly what he became, was a stumbling block, because Israel rejected, he was rejected by his own people, the Jews. Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lie in Zion a foundation, stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, he that believeth shall not make haste. And so uh, Psalm 118 tells us the stone which the builders refuse has become the head uh, stone of the corner. And of course, you guys are familiar with those prophecies. He came unto his own, his own received him not. They cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man and release us, Barabbas, when uh, Pilate tried to release him. And now we're getting a little bit more into the resurrection, right? We're into that Passion Week. And this is the stone which was set at naught. Acts 4 records of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. So Peter's preaching there, and he's letting them have it. Acts chapter 4, quoting from the Old Testament and letting them know that they are indeed um, stumbling over the rock, which is Christ. First Peter 2, 6, Peter says, Wherefore, also is it contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, quoting directly from Isaiah 28, uh, a cornerstone, elect, precious. He that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which are disobedient, the stone which the builders uh, disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. So Israel obviously rejected their Messiah, but that was prophesied. It wasn't like, oh, he showed up and it was surprised. It was already written in Isaiah long before it ever happened. God knew what was going to happen. Uh, he was counting on it. Um, but he was still giving him every opportunity to succeed. Another one is uh, him being a priest after the order of Melchizedek. That's not just a revelation from Hebrews 5, 5 and 6. It's all the way back in Psalms 110. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Where do you think Paul got that information? He got it not only from the revelations that he had in the Arabian desert, he got it from Psalm 110 and verse 4. So also Christ glorified not himself, but made an high priest. But he that saith unto him, Thou art my son, uh, today I have begotten thee, as he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So you're going way back. Melchizedek is the priest during the time of, uh, of Abraham, right? And Abraham paid tithes to him. First time you find tithe in the Bible is Abraham giving a tithe to Melchizedek. Long before Moses and the law, there were tithes being paid to the priest Melchizedek, who wasn't under the law of Moses, which is why Jesus is a type of Melchizedek, because he's greater than the law. He's before the law. And so Melchizedek is a type. Jesus is before the law. He's the one who wrote the law, right? Just like, uh, and so there's all those types there. Melchizedek was being honored before Moses was ever born. And, uh, and so you can see all the parallels there. He's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Zechariah 9.9, 9, uh, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, the king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass 
and upon a colt and a foal of an ass. Uh, what do you think the next one is? Yeah, good guess. Triumphal entry, right? So Mark, Mark 11, 7, 9 through 11 there, you can see that, of course, he came in literally uh, as prophesied. I mean, it, that's one of those places where it's kind of freaky. He's like, hey, go, go ask them for this colt and tell them what's going on. And if they don't have it, tell them this and that. And there's going to be a, there's going to be a room ready. And that's kind of all a little freaky. I mean, he had all this settled up. I'm like, I bet he sent some angels out. And I mean, that deal was going to go down, no doubt about it. Jesus is like, you can bet on it, boys. Just go. It's all going to be set up. I mean, he called ahead. <laughs> so it was all done. So he come riding in, right? This is, starts the Passion Week, he, triumphal entry. Everybody's singing Hosanna. He entered Jerusalem, verse 11, and into the temple. Of course, he gets in the temple. He throws over the tables. He even tied, and he went out into Bethany with the 12. But he had an eventful day that day, and, uh, and the triumphal entry. All prophesied in the Old Testament. The zeal of the Lord has eaten me up. And then authority. He entered the temple with authority. Malachi, that was even prophesied. Now we're getting down to business. Oh, all this was just a coincidence. They just kind of scribbled it in later, right, As a, and all these historical details. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. And he did. And he will again, by the way. Uh, Matthew twenty one twelve, and Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables and money changers and the seats and them that sold doves. Interesting. This is a really important prophecy. <clears throat> Notice where it's at there in Matthew twenty one. <clears throat> what what's the what's the next big deal with the temple in Jerusalem? Prophetically, well, first it's got to be built. It's not there, so. Number one, Donald Trump moved the uh, embassy there, but there's still no temple there. But there will be a temple there because it's prophesied to be there. So we're still living this. The Antichrist, I'm just going to jump ahead for time's sake. The Antichrist, the next thing on the calendar is the Antichrist is going to step through a lot of these same prophecies and try to pretend to be Jesus. That's why, that's why we need to be familiar with the Bible thoroughly. Because you know who's going to be deceived? A lot of people. A lot of people. And as we get closer to the day, I'm, ta- I'm not talking about being in the tribulation, but as we get closer and closer, I'm, I mean, it's pretty, it's co- pretty compelling. There's going to be a lot of compelling. I wouldn't, now, one thing that I don't definitely think, there could be signs and lying wonders happening before the rapture of the church. You know, so just kind of keep that in mind. Uh, especially the charismatic friends, man, they get all caught up in signs and and uh, all these experiences, and I'm like, man, that's very dangerous because the prophecies tell us that signs and lying wonders, well, that's, that's what Satan's coming with. He's going to convince a lot of people, and God's going to allow that deception. But one of the things he's also going to allow is for Satan to kind of step through some of these same motions. There's going to be a temple, but it's, it's when the Jews, and Jews are going to go right along with it, and think, well, okay, okay. And then they're going to see him go in the temple and proclaim that he is God. And they're going to go, no, that's not how it was written. <laughs> and the, uh, that with the aid of the Holy Ghost. And maybe they come back and listen to some of our old podcasts, whatever. And uh, they'll get it all figured out. And, and then they'll go, wait a minute, that is not exactly what this is. Maybe we should go read that, old, that, that New Testament that those crazy Christians were talking about. And then they'll walk into Matthew, which deals with Jesus as the king. The only book that talks about the kingdom of God. 
right? So they'll understand the distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Ding, 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 ding. And then they'll see uh, Mark. You'll see Jesus as a, uh, uh, as a servant. And then Luke, they'll see Jesus as the son of man. He's all man. And then they'll get to John and he realize, oops, he's the God man. He's all man, all God. And so they'll have all four views of who Jesus Christ is. And then they'll go, oh, well, what happened? Well, and the Holy Spirit's going to say, well, I'm glad you asked. So let's go to Acts and we'll just keep on going. See, and, and see, you remember Nimrod and how I confounded the tongues and mercifully uh, confused the world language so they wouldn't reach unto God? Well, guess what? When God came to earth, what did he do? He turned it around. They could hear every man in their own language. That was a, that's a sign. Joel, Joel, I fulfilled the prophecy. That This was a sign to the Jews. And all the priests got, well, I never learned that in rabbinical school. Well, that's because you weren't reading the New Testament, Rabbi. Right? So they're going to read all that stuff, and they're gonna, it's all going to click. And there's going to be a lot of the Jews, 144,000 are also going to show up and teach. So all that stuff's all going to get straightened out for many Jews. Uh, but the Antichrist is coming. It's kind of a side note. But, but just so you know, as we're walking through this, this, this uh, entered the temple with authority. The next time you see someone entering the temple with authority, I'd like to say that's Jesus, but that's not going to be the case. The next time somebody enters a temple in Jerusalem in authority, it's going to be the Antichrist. And so just kind of mark that down. That's Matthew 24. So that's a few chapters after this. And Jesus is the one who told us so, by the way. And Daniel, which was given to Daniel by Jesus. But anyway, that's another. So. Okay, you guys tracking with me? That's kind of like a little side note commercial. I'm getting a little tired. We've got to talk about something else for a minute. Okay, so, so next is uh, we're dealing with his adored. he's adored by infants. Interesting. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Matthew 21, 15 says, And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. Isn't that interesting? Uh, and, and, and said unto him, Here's the, what these say. And Jesus said unto, unto them, Yea, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings? Thou hast perfected praise. So he's quoting to them from the Old Testament and saying, hey, you know what? Later on, he says, if, if, if they don't worship me, the rocks will cry out. Right? They, they, had, they had a real problem with Jesus receiving worship because if he could be worshipped, that means he is God. Because that's blasphemous to worship a man. Zechariah 13, 7. Uh, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and... Against the the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. Then saith Jesus unto them all, Ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Jesus quoting directly out of Zechariah chapter 13. And of course, that's exactly what happened. He got smitten, and the sheep scattered. All right, betrayed by Judas. Man, there's a lot on, there's more on Judas than I've got. These are just a couple of verses. There's more on Judas. If you want to know, there's a lot more on Judas in the Old Testament. You could look up, and uh, a lot of people, well, I don't know, I, that's a subject for another Bible study. Let me just tell you, Judas is well recorded in the Old Testament. Psalms uh, 41, 9, Yea, my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Psalms 55, 12 through 13, for 
it was not an enemy that reproached me, then could I have borne it? Neither was it he that hated me, that did magnify himself against me. Then when I hid myself from him, but it was thou, a man, mine equal, my guide, mine acquaintance. Anyone you love ever turn on you like that? Painful. Zechariah 13, 6. And the one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? And then shall he answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Judas was called a friend. Verse 20, 47 of Luke 22. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he was called Judas, and one of the twelve went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Matthew 26, 49. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Here it is, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Kisses of an enemy. But he called him a friend. It's pretty tough stuff. Now we're getting closer to the death and the burial and the resurrection. So, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of his peace was upon him. And with his stripes you're healed. Of course, they released Barabbas. What am I? I think I skipped ahead, didn't I? I skipped the whole page. Forget that. Okay, so he was betrayed uh, for 30 pieces of silver. I'm going to move through some of these. You guys know the verses uh, for time's sake. Uh, very clearly from Zechariah 11, 12. And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. Already written down. 500 years before. Uh, Zechariah 11.13, uh, The Lord said unto me, cast, cast it under the potter a goodly price that I was uh, priced at, of them. And I took 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. So there's, again, dealing with the betrayal money used to buy the potter's field. And, of course, you find that in Matthew 26.7-11. They took the price of, the, uh, of uh, the pieces of silver and bought the field of blood. And that's where Judas was buried. Psalms 35.11, uh, false witness, or that's that's where he killed himself. False witness did rise up, and they laid my charge, and they laid to my charge things that I knew not. Of course, and he was uh, there arose certain and bare false witness against him, saying, "We have heard him say, I will destroy the temple that is made with hands, and with three in three days I will uh, made it without hands." So they were falsely accusing him. Uh, Isaiah fifty three seven. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He brought he was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and the sheep before his shears dumb, and he opened not his mouth, and he was silent to his accusers, right? Pilate uh, asked him, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold, how many things they witness against thee, but Jesus yet answered nothing. So that Pilate marveled. He made Pilate marvel. Isaiah fifty and verse six I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off my hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. And uh, you guys know the you know the uh, verses in Matthew. They spit on him. They took his. They took a reed. They beat him on the head. It was brutal. Um, put a crown of thorns. You guys know the. You know the brutality there is terrible. Isaiah fifty three five. He was scourged. 
was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of his peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. And in Psalm 35, 19, let, them, let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me, neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without cause. You see, he was hated without a reason. John 15, 24 says, If, if I had done among them the works which none other man did, they had, uh, not, uh, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both uh, me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Literally, the last words of Psalm thirty-five, nineteen, Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Again, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes were healed. Paul lays that out for us in the uh, vicarious sacrifice. Of course, he was wounded for our transgressions. Scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isaiah 53, 12. Oh man, very, very good prophecy. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors, transgressors, which is us. And with him they crucified two thieves, one on the right hand, one on the left. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith he was numbered with the transgressors. So the Holy Ghost gives us some uh, some uh, insights there of uh, of uh, how he would uh, be numbered with the transgressors. Back to Isaiah fifty three twelve, Zechariah twelve ten, and I will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for his only son. And of course, they pierced his hands in John 20, and the other disciple therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto him, them, Except I shall see the hands uh, in the print of the nails, and put a finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hands into the side, I will not believe. And after eight days, and after eight days, uh, again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them, and then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he unto Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. So they, uh, he was sneered and mocked. You can look up those verses. I'm going to run through these real quick. He was reproached. Psalm 109, I became also a reproach unto them. When they looked upon me, they shake their heads. People literally shook their heads at him. Matthew twenty seven thirty nine says, and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. You guys caught up? People literally shook, shook their heads. All those details are being prophesied and recorded. Of course, it was just a big conspiracy. Not. Psalm sixty nine twenty one. they gave me also gall for meat and my thirst. They gave me vinegar. Of course, that's exactly what happened. They filled a sponge with vinegar, put it on a hyssop, put it in his mouth. Psalm nineteen twenty nine. Give him vinegar for his thirst. He prayed for his enemies. Right? He's exactly like the Bible says, For my love they are my adversaries, but I give myself unto prayer. The soldiers gambled for his clothes. Now he's he's uh, on the cross. 
Psalm 22 is very graphic. If we had time just to read that, I, I may tell of all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They may part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. They, they, they stared upon, he's looking at his bones sticking out. Of course, Matthew 27 records how they parted his garments as they gambled there at the foot of the cross. Psalms 22, 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Exactly what said Matthew 27, 46, forsaken by God for our sin. Psalm 31 and verse 5, But unto thine hand I commit my spirit, O Lord, God of truth. Quoted exactly like that, Luke 23, 46, And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now he's died on the cross. But what about the resurrection? Well, before we get to that, his friends stood afar off. My lovers and my friends stand aloof. My sore and my kinsmen stand afar off. And the acquaintances and the women followed him from Galilee, stood afar off, beholding these things. Psalms 34, 20, No bones were broken. He keepeth all my bones. Not one of them is broken. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and the other, which is crucified with him. And for these things were done. The scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And of course, that prophecy was fulfilled exactly. And then, of course, as Zechariah prophesied, there was a, in his side, it was pierced. And, uh, and of course, that prophecy came to pass exactly as said. They, they have pierced. It says, uh, uh, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for his only son. Now, that's a dual prophecy. Many of these prophecies are. When Jesus returns, just like Thomas saw the holes in his sides, his holes are still present in Revelation. Those holes are still there, even his glorified body. But one of the soldiers with a smear, uh, spear, I'm sorry, pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. Darkness was over the land, just as Amos prophesied. I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day. Now the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land under the ninth hour. Three hours of darkness. Isaiah 53, 9, and, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither had uh, any deceit in his mouth. Matthew 27 records how Joseph of Arimathea went after the body, wrapped it up, and put it in his sepulcher. He was buried with the rich. Psalm 16, 10, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, praise God, neither wilt thou suffer uh, the, thine holy one to see corruption. Mark 16, of course, uh, Jesus said, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He's risen. Uh, he is not here. Behold, the place where they laid him. But go your way and tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee, and there shall you see him, as he said unto you. Many prophecies of the resurrection. You guys can look those up on your own. And then uh, he sent the Holy Spirit, right? Joel chapter 2, I mentioned earlier, 228, Isaiah 44, 3, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, the floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. Acts 20 and verse 2, it says, Now and behold, I go bound in the spirit in Jerusalem, not knowing what things shall befall me. Acts 2.16, of course, is when uh, the spirit of God was poured upon the church and, and the church was empowered. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. So Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 17 was a sign unto the Jews. Uh, his ascension uh, to God's right hand was prophesied. And uh, Psalms 110, verse 1, uh, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. 
That's where he's at right now, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And uh, Ephesians 4, 8 says he ascended upon high. Uh, of course, he rose the third day according to the Scriptures. Mark 16, 19, he was received up to the he- heaven to sit at the right hand of God. All those prophecies have been fulfilled. He is literally at the right hand of God right now, sitting. Standing in Acts 7, but sitting now. Isaiah 9, 2, the Gentiles will seek the Messiah, right? The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, and they that uh, dwell in the land in the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Of course, um, Romans eleven twenty five. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest, <clears throat> um, lest you should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So even the prophecies concerning the Gentile church, not only in type, but specifically are mentioned not only by Jesus, but even in the Old Testament, they are alluded to and then fulfilled. Okay, so whew, that is a big, huge, that's only the first part of the A-list there, but, uh, but that's, that's really what we need. I think the rest of the A-list you guys can look at, and uh, I don't know how much, I forgot how much detail. I do have several more pages, don't I, to get through. But uh, the mer- some, let me just quickly run through the miracles, some of the attesting miracles. So before I jump into that, those pro- that's a long list of prophecies. Mathematically, impossible. That's why people who poo-poo the Word of God like they just came and, and uh, you know, put it all together, it just isn't going to happen. It is the Word of God. The more you study God's Word, the more you read God's Word, the more you see these things. And these are just like skipping a rock. There are so many prophecies and so many things. The more you study the Bible that God puts together, not just about the coming of Christ, but the church, who you are, who we are, all these things in the Bible. It's amazing. Uh, you cannot miss it. So uh, the first thing that we understand is that the prophecies are accurate. I mean, to me, that's, that's why I spend so much time on it. This, that's the number one thing, is the Bible itself. People who like diminish the Bible and say it's not reliable, that's because they don't want it to be reliable. It's, it's actually absolutely reliable. Okay, so, well, that's circular reasoning. Okay, you can say whatever you want. Examine the evidence and put the math to it. Run the numbers. Mathematically, it's not just an improbability. It's an impossibility. God has fulfilled his word. That's why he uses his word to do that. So we have faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and he rewards those that are full of faith. Okay, so testing miracles. He turned water into wine. I'll run through these real quick. Uh, he he healed the nobleman's son in John four thirty four. He uh, he had power to heal the nobleman's son without seeing him and visiting him. The nobleman believed that Jesus believed Jesus had his word, and his son was immediately healed. And so I got a lot more I'd like to say about that, but I'm going to keep moving for time's sake. Uh, he had the feeding of the five thousand, right? And he collected twelve baskets, five number of the law, twelve number of Israel. Then he had the feeding of the 4,000, which I am not to yet. He walked on the water. In John 6, 16, there's seven of these miracles. Uh, he was, he, uh, he was um, let's see, where am I at? Yeah, he walked on the water in, in John chapter 6. And uh, there's a lot more I wanted to say about that, but you can look it up. And he had the miracle of healing the man born blind. The miracle was confirmation of the Jewish leadership that Jesus was Messiah and demonstrated and states that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, meaning that he is the God that created the Sabbath. Jesus pointed out his conclu- that conclusion to the Pharisees uh, who were the ones that were blind. He was showing them their blindness through that miracle. 
And then, of course, last but not least, he rose, he raised, he rose Lazarus, raising Lazarus from the dead, as I stated it there. So what's the point of that miracle? Near the end of his gospel account, John said, and there are many other signs, truly, did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life through his name. And so the last miracle John recorded before the resurrection shows the fulfillment of our Lord's promise to all who believe on his name. And John is the gospel of belief. So he called Lazarus out of the grave and restored him from death. The text shows that even though Jesus knew Lazarus was sick, he actually waited until Lazarus was dead and buried before he responded to the sister's call for help. So he did so because he could bring Lazarus back to life. It was an unmistakable model of the resurrection and believing dead that contains a hint of the rapture. And I don't think people... I do. I don't think people who don't already know about the rapture see this, but those who can can take comfort in the in the faint hint here in John eleven twenty five through twenty six. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Because those of us that live into the catching way of the church, we never die. So Lazarus, in that sense, is a type. Uh, as he's speaking there of the rapture. There's a hint of the rapture there, even in John 11:25. Another thing that we can look at as evidence is his agonizing death. And, uh, and that's about as far as we're going to go. So I'm going to pause there. Um, I got some other things I want to touch on next week that have nothing to do with this, to, to kind of follow up on the vision conference in regard to preparing our life for uh, God's service. So um, I'll probably just... Uh, just bring these back. We can we can finish these up. I don't think it'll take that long. And then I'll just jump into my next section. Or I may just bookmark this and come back to it later. Was this was this good for anybody? All right, good. Okay. All right, so um, we left off on agonizing death. I could also go back and, and start on uh, and work those miracles. I have a lot, I had a lot more to say about the miracles, but time does not permit it. If I'd have gotten in here on time, we'd have probably ended on time. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Yes, ma'am. What is it? Uh huh. Accurate prophecies, a sampling of prophecies. Anybody else? Got all those little blanks filled in. That's a lot of information. But uh, yeah, if you need uh, more of these, I got more. I think I don't think I handed them all out. But uh, thank you for coming tonight, and we will progress and uh, pick that up next week. Come back though. I'm going to totally switch gears and uh, get into some really practical things about preparing our lives to answer the call. So we had the vision conference, and we talked about owning the mission, uh, being intentional about our gospel outreach and all of those things. And so I want to just follow up a little bit more on that topic uh, and uh, and share a few things with you regarding that. So I'll come back next week. Uh, same bat channel. We'll be right here. All right.